Evening, everybody. About uh, 25 or 26 years ago, uh, I went on this little little vacation. It was kind of an interesting, sort of an adventure. Uh, my childhood friend, uh, Chris Maloney, and I, uh, we planned this road trip. Um, I think I was about two or three years ordained at that point. And uh, we were going to go up to New England. Uh, I think for about a week, maybe, or maybe, maybe five or six days was the plan. Ultimately, we were going to get to, the real destination was to get to Maine. We wanted to get up there and, uh, and do some camping. So we left, uh, I remember we left New York on a, on a Friday, probably a Friday afternoon. And uh, we decided we were going to go to Newport, Rhode Island. We had never been there heard that it was a kind of a cool town. We figured, you know, we'd, we'd go there, spend the night there, and then, then make our way further north the next day. So we get to Newport uh, Friday night at this point, and it turns out the, uh, the Newport Jazz Festival was happening that weekend, which we, you know, we had no idea that was the case. So the place was packed. I mean, it was very, very crowded, Newport. Just pulling in, we realized, like, something's up. Something's going on here. This couldn't be this crowded. Um, we hadn't really planned where we were going to stay. We figured we'd just get a, you know, a holiday inn or something like that somewhere in, in town or on the outskirts. Well, nothing. I mean, you couldn't get a room anywhere. And every time we we called or went to a hotel. They kind of laughed at us. They were like, this is the, the jazz festival. It's like this gigantic event every summer. There's no way you're going to get a room. Like, you're going to have to go. I remember them saying, you're not going to get a hotel for an hour ride from Newport. Like, don't even try. And, uh, you know, Chris and I are like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Like, there's no way we're going to drive for an hour get a place, then come back the next day to see Newport. And it was getting late. I didn't know what to do. Um, so I said, well, I'm going to try and pull my priest card here. Um, <laughs> we don't really have a priest card, but... And I go to the local Catholic church in Newport, which was St. Mary's. It's the church where JFK married uh, Jackie Bouvier. Beautiful church. And at uh, any rate, we went to the, I, went, I knocked on the door of the rectory. And this guy comes out, and he was a, a, a visiting priest for the, for the summer. He wasn't one of the regulars. But he was in charge. I think he was the only one there. And I said who I was. I said, hey, is there any way you guys have a spare room? Um, and I explained sort of the jam that we were in, and he said, I, I, said I, I can't, you know. I'm just not allowed to have visitors. That was kind of made real clear. I was kind of, you know, surprised by that. And then, and then I said, I said, could we, camp, could we camp in your backyard? Because we had the camping stuff with us. And he said, no, you know, you can't do that either. Uh, 
And he felt, I could tell, he was, it seemed like a nice guy and he seemed, he felt bad for us. He was like, how could I be turning these poor souls away here at, on this night? So he's like, all right, hang on a second. Um, hang on a second. And we waited outside and he went in and he made a phone call. Turns out there was a, a, a convent um, in, in Newport. This big, huge convent. It was like the mother house for this religious order of nuns. And it was on this big old estate, uh, like beautiful, beautiful piece of property on the water. Um, on the property, there was a cottage where I guess they used to have a chaplain and that's where the chaplain would stay. So the priest called the nuns, explained the story, and then the sisters said, yeah, tell them to come on down. So we struck gold. Chris and I couldn't believe it. We drove onto this property. We're looking at each other like, we never would have found this place. We never would have stumbled upon this place. And they greet us and they show us the cottage. It was fantastic. Um, I said mass for the sisters the next day. Oh, that's what they joked. They said, uh, we're not gonna charge you anything, but you have to say mass for us. <laughs> I was like, sure. And they were all, it was like, like 15 of your grandmothers that were these, these little old bitty nuns that were in this uh, convent. We loved it. Like we just, we loved it. Uh, we loved it so much that we ended up sp spending three more days in Newport. Um, this was gonna be, you know, originally an overnight, you know, kind of a, we'll check out the place and we'll, we'll be on the road by, you know, noon the next day. 72 hours later, we were, we were pulling out and hugging the sisters goodbye, you know. They had dinner for us one night. It was just the best. Um, eventually, we got to Maine, but it was a lot less Maine and a lot more Newport, really, because we just spent half the, the week there, but no regrets. Um, it wasn't part of the plan. It was better than the plan. Ultimately, it was way better than the plan we had drawn up. You find that that happens sometimes in life, maybe even kind of often enough in life. You make plans, and somehow they get detoured. Where you intended to be, where you were hoping to end land and end up, it didn't quite happen. How do you do, I guess a question I'd ask you to consider tonight, is like, how do you do with those detours when it's your life? You know, my cute little story was, it was a pleasant detour. I mean, I'm grateful that it happened. I went back up, I think, two more times subsequent summers uh, and stayed there with these sisters. It was a great detour. How about when it's not a good detour? Or at least in the moment, it doesn't seem like a good detour. Do you roll well with those punches? I mean, some of us, some of us do. Some of us are better at it than others. Some of us are better with change, and I guess they're just whatever, naturally a little more uh, flexible. Others less so. Others are just more ordered. I got a plan, I've always got kind of an agenda, 
This is kind of what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. It's an old Yiddish proverb, I guess. We plan, God laughs. Um, with the John Lennon song, there's a line in it that says, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. Kind of like the detour experiences. Sometimes it's like that's really when life happens. God's laughing at all the, the plans that we've got lined up. And I don't think that means we're not supposed to plan stuff. Of course we are. But maybe be equally open to the possibility that our plan isn't quite God's. You know, this station with uh, Simon, kind of interesting, he's mentioned this story, Simon carrying the cross is mentioned in three of the four Gospels. Uh, St. John's Gospel doesn't reference it, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. And pretty much it's the same. You know, a little bit, little sentence or two is different, but all three of those four reference this story. And all three, he's a bystander. Simon is. Kind of gets drafted into helping Jesus. It's not really like a volunteer moment. It's a conscription moment. Drafting you moment. Carrying his cross was not part of Simon's plan. Helping out Jesus was not on his agenda. We're told, like he kind of unwillingly went. I mean, the video we saw, he didn't look willing at all, right? I don't know. I think, the, I think that, that was from the passion of the Christ. I mean, Mel Gibson maybe took a little bit of license, artistic license. We don't know that he, like, resisted so much. We're just told that he was drafted. He kind of added the, you know, I don't know this guy. I don't want to do this. I have nothing to do with him. Peace. That's really not in the Gospels. But, but I think we do know this much. It must have changed him forever. Simon. To have gotten that close to him in that moment, kind of like eye to eye, there's just no way he was ever the same. He could have run or tried to run. The video, he sort of backs away but doesn't really seem to have a, an ability to get away. Maybe he did. Maybe he did have a, the ability to run. But he didn't. He wasn't looking to help, but he also wasn't running away. What if he'd been a little further back and hadn't actually gotten drafted? There'd be no encounter. He wouldn't have met God. I mean, just think God kind of lives in the detours. We think there's like, there's no, there's no purpose, there's no good in this detour moment in my life. Maybe not. Maybe that's exactly where God wants us to be. 
We just have a tough time seeing it. You know, the, the Veronica station, the next one, interesting, uh, Mel Gibson portrayed her, her as a lot more willing, right? She doesn't get sort of pulled from the crowd to go wipe his face. She just does. What's also interesting is that the story of Veronica, like that's not in the Gospels. None of the Gospels have that station. Somewhere along the way, it was part of tradition. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. Maybe it did happen. It just didn't make it to the Gospels. We don't know. You know, whether it's a a willing encounter like Veronica or like a detour encounter like Simon, it's an encounter. It's a moment with Jesus. And how can that ever be not a great thing? Hey, here's the point. You know, God enters our lives. It's his timetable, not ours. It's God's plan, not ours. And I think the the greater effort we make to be people of prayer, to be at nights like tonight, to be part of a community of faith, the more we're all of those things, I think the better we get at figuring out God's plan for us as individuals. And the more we can interpret that, the better it ends up. Because if I can figure out God's blue plan for, for, for a blueprint for my life, then I know where I'm supposed to go. I know how I'm supposed to act and be. But if I don't know that, if I don't really know what God wants of me, then I'm kind of roaming and tripping probably. That's why Lent is important. It kind of forces us to spend time with him. And then I think the plan becomes just a a little bit more clear. Detours. I planned things would be different at a certain point in my life. Uh, They're not what I intended. You know, you have a elderly parent that you're caring for. You know, when you've got siblings who aren't as dialed in as they should be. Maybe some of it's practical. You live near mom or dad and your, your brother and your sister are upstate or out of state. Or maybe they live in, in town too, but they've just, they've dropped the ball. So you have to run with it. And you do. But you also know that that's sort of changed plans a little bit. Like, you got less freedom. Because you gotta be connected to him or her. Or maybe it's a kid. Maybe it's one of your kids who you thought by now would have been a little bit more independent. And their needs are, for you are, are, are still kind of significant. You thought at this point he or she would be more on their own. They probably should be, but they're not. 
So you gotta be closer. <laughs> you know, you, you and your husband or wife are kind of quietly getting excited about the empty nest thing. But you're like, oh God, it's not, it's not quite as empty as we thought. And that's shifted things a bit. Health, health detours. There's lots of, lots of detours. Financial. Yeah, we kind of, we thought we'd be a little bit more independent in terms of money by this point in our lives. But I'm actually, realistically, I'm not retiring now for a few more years. I thought by now I would be, we would be. Maybe we'd be in Florida or wherever and that's not happening. You know, and all of these detours are kind of like detours that I didn't really ask for. But can you find God in them? I think we have to. Because God is in the detours. And I'm not saying like, make everything positive. You know, people who just refuse to, in any level, acknowledge the negative. Like, hey, come on, let's be, like to be able to say like, yeah, no, I, I wish I was retired by now, flat out. Like, it would be better if we were, or we, we had less debt, or if we were more, you know, we, we, we had the independence that we were hoping for. Yeah, like, it's okay to be, I think, honest about that. Just acting like everything is wonderful when it isn't is annoying and, and untrue. But that doesn't mean God's not in those moments. It's like, man, I still gotta find, I was, yeah, okay, I wish this was different. But I still gotta find God. And I think the more we do, then it's like, I'm somehow, I'm okay with this. Yeah, it's a detour, but it's like, it's okay. It's a movie that came out, I think about six or seven years ago. I've, I've mentioned this movie a couple of times at funerals, actually, for different reasons. The, the movie was called um, uh, Brooklyn. Some of you maybe saw it. It was a pretty good movie. It was kind of like an independent sort of, I think kind of a low, sort of a low budget movie. It wasn't like a big epic blockbuster type movie. It's kind of a love story about this couple. Well, it really begins as this, this young woman. She's from Ireland. It's 1951. She's probably about 18. She's in this, born, living in this little village in Ireland. Kind of this one-horse town where there's really no future. There's no work. There's not a lot of dreams. And she knows she has to leave. She lives with her mother and her sister. Her father's dead. And these three women love each other. But she's gotta go. So maybe 10 minutes into the movie, she comes to the States and she settles in Brooklyn. And her homesickness is like excruciating. It's hard to watch at points. She's so desperately homesick, missing uh, her sister primarily. Her and her sister are very close, but mom as well. 
she gets these letters. I mean, it's 1951. Now it's 1952. Like, you know, they're not calling each other. Like letter writing and letter reading. And she reads these letters, and it's almost like she doesn't want to read them because it crushes her so much. Then she meets this guy. She's at a dance one night. She meets this Italian guy who's her age, Italian-American guy. And they fall in love. Um, and things begin to get better for her. She's the sadness, the homesickness really does begin to subside. And then she gets word that her sister has died from at home. She's devastated. So she's got to go back home. And the, the guy she's with, uh, he's scared. He's afraid she's not going to come back. He brings her out to Long Island one day, and he shows her this, they're out on this property, kind of this field, and he tells her of the family plan. They're going to they're buy this couple of plots, and they're going to build a house, a couple of houses, and he's like, one of these will be for us. So they get married very quickly. He convinces her to, to get married because he just... He, who wants her back. And then she goes to Ireland. She spends a month there. Nobody knows she's married. She hasn't told anybody. And her mother is now alone. And everybody in this village wants her to stay, especially mom. And she's feeling so torn now and conflicted. And he's writing her letters, her, her brand new husband. She's not, she's not answering them. She's beginning to wonder if she should have married him and maybe she'll just stay here. There's a guy in this little, in this village who is very interested in her. He's got money. It would be a good life. The mother is pushing this. She realizes that you know, this guy is not the one. He's, he's a nice guy, but he's not the, the one. And then she eventually tells her, it's like heartbreaking scene, she tells her mother that she's married. And the mother looks so sad because she knows she's gonna go back to Brooklyn. But she doesn't fight her. Like the mother knows she has to go. It's a great story. And so much of it I think is about plans and interruptions and detours and thought this is how my life was gonna be and then life happens and gets in the way. But in the midst of all of it, when you're able to step back and catch your breath, you, you're like, yeah, like God was and is. He's always there. Sometimes it's easier to spot him and feel him, but God's always there. There's these two scenes in the movie, they're almost like bookends. One is when she comes to Brooklyn, the United States, for the first time, she's on this boat that's coming sailing across. And she's so innocent and naive and scared. And she starts, she starts, she, she's befriended by this Irish girl who's got a little more experience about, she's been to the States. And she kind of shows her the ropes. And now she's decided to go back 
to the states. In this concluding scene, she's on the boat again. And there's another girl on the, the boat next to her. She's coming to, for the first time, and she's as innocent as she was the year before. So she just starts asking her all these questions when she realizes that she's, she's been to New York. And her heart is broken at leaving home. She knows she needs to come here to be with her husband, but she's, she's so torn. So she's kind of answering these questions, but she's so distracted. And then she, you, you see this expression in her eyes and she, she kind of pauses and then begins to give her direct directions, advice. The voyage over, don't eat much food because you're gonna get seasick. And what you need to do when, once you get to the States and then you stop seeing them. You, they're no longer on the boat. You can hear her talking. And now you've got these images of the girl, like maybe in, um, where was the place we used to come into? Ellis Island, I don't know if it's Ellis Island or not. It might have been closed by then, but in the immigration. And this is what she says. When you get to immigration, keep your eyes wide open. Look as if you know where you're going. You have to think like an American. You'll feel so homesick that you'll want to die. And there's nothing you can do about it, apart from enduring it. But you will, and it won't kill you. Then one day, the sun will come out. You might not even know it right away. It'll be that faint. And then you'll catch yourself thinking about something or someone who has no connection with the past. Someone who's only yours. And you'll realize that's where your life is. And as she says those last couple of lines, you, it's now, her. She's back in Brooklyn and she's standing across the street from where her husband works. It's a great scene. She's coming out of, uh, he's, she's just standing there and he doesn't know that she's back home. And he comes walking out of work with his brother and then he sees her and he just walks across the street and embraces her. And then you'll catch yourself thinking about something or someone who has no connection with the past. Someone who's only yours. And you'll realize that this is where your life is. Somewhere in the detours.